Welcome to the Business Extra. I'm Mustafa Al Rawi, Assistant Editor in Chief at the National here in Abu Dhabi. With me is Kelsey Warner, the National's Feature Editor and Co-host of the Business Extra. Hi, Kelsey. Hey, Mustafa. So we're talking about uh, markets today, energy markets, commodity markets. Uh, it's been an interesting year so far as we kind of come to the end of the second, the second quarter, the first half, and and we're going to get into the discussion of where things go. Right. It's a week that began with the G7 meeting and will end with an OPEC meeting, and so. With prices feeling volatile, statements be- being made crossfire uh, all around the world, seemingly on the state of oil and the energy markets, I think an interesting time to check in with a friend of the show. Exactly. We're going to talk to Ole Hansen from Saxo Bank, he's head of commodity strategy there. But before we do that, do subscribe, or if on YouTube, you ring that bell. Joining us is uh, Ole Hansen. Ole, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much for having me. We we talked earlier in the year uh, when there was there was quite a bit of volatility in markets, but it'd be interesting to hear your take on where we are now. In particular, the last few weeks, the the narrative has been about is a recession likely, and and as a result, investors have kind of been up and down over it. Um, how how have things been for you? Well, as you say, very volatile, and uh, I think what uh, what's different this time compared to uh, previous uh, experiences of, of uh, high volatility that I've seen in my my time, and uh, I've been around for quite a while, is the fact that this is uh, really hitting all three sectors uh, this time. We, we've seen elevated uh, volatility in agriculture and industrial metals, and as well, obviously, in the energy space. The energy market is is probably the well is the sector holding up. Uh, the, the, the best uh, you mentioned recession, and uh, that clearly has become a a key focus in the market since the uh, since the, uh, the higher than expected CPI number on June 10th, which led to this uh, big interest rate hike the following week by the FOMC. And uh, this is really where we are right now. The market is just trying to work out: Are we going to our central banks going to successfully bring down? Uh, inflation, i.e., by killing growth through higher rates before uh, before we or before we get, uh, or, but in time to get inflation down before we we, we have a, a, a setback in the economy, and that's really the the worry right now that uh, we may see a recession before inflation comes down, and that's obviously the very dreaded stagflation, and uh, and that that will obviously have an impact on on some of these commodities. But again, the energy sector remains well shielded. Uh, I think we need quite a dramatic drop in demand really in order to see also a dramatic uh, price drop because the market just remains tight. We're seeing these open meetings you mentioned uh, this week and in in recent months, these meetings, sorry to say, has become quite quite irrelevant because we know what they were going to agree. The meetings become shorter and shorter. The elephant in the room, Russia, has not really been addressed, and their ability or inability to uh, to meet their targets, compared together with a lot of other producers. So we we currently have a deficit of more than two and a half million barrels on a daily basis, compared to what OPEC Plus uh, originally had 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 in visits they would produce, and and that's really what's keeping the, the market uh, underpinned. So uh, I'm not keeping a, I'm keeping a very close eye on fuel prices, diesel and gasoline more than crude oil because obviously the pain right now for you and me as a consumer, that's not the, the price of crude oil, that's the price of the, the petrol at the pump. And that's really the where we've seen the pain and these prices remain very elevated. And they will be durable even against a recession is sort of what you're predicting here. I think they will, um, perhaps not in the short term, because these, we have to remember this market is not just uh, oil producers and consumers. This, there's also a lot of uh, financial investors involved in the middle of this, uh, trying to trying to take their their investment des- uh, decision from from uh, macroeconomic developments. And uh, if we do see the if the macroeconomic the 
picture deteriorates further, we will see some short selling or some hedging in the oil market. Uh, investors basically trying to hedge themselves against recession by going short some of the the, the growth dependent uh, commodities like copper and oil. But uh, but in general, the uh, supply and demand ultimate will prevail, and uh, that I think that uh, that uh, part of the equation still will remain uh, quite quite tight, especially also in years ahead. And and I think. The, the conundrum, the, the one question we could being asked on a regular basis, well, why on earth do, doesn't these oil majors just go uh, gung-ho blazing into uh, digging for, drilling for more oil because the uh, profitability is fantastic? Well, it is if you are, if you have oil available for, for delivery today at $100 plus, but if you're looking at the forward price of oil, five years out, it's around $40 to $50 lower than where we are today. And that's really the price they need to look at in order to look out, work out the profitability of of making the new investment, which potentially won't generate income for another for 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 a number of years, and adding to that the whole uncertainty about the future demand of fossil fuels uh, with the, because of the the green transformation, then then it just really too many uncertainties that uh, that makes prevents them really from from uh, from taking the decision to Can increase we- investments. Sorry to interrupt, but can we really say that that is still uncertain? We already have snapped back to pre-pandemic levels in terms of carbon emissions and demand for fossil fuels. It feels like I'm getting skeptical of that that uncertainty increasingly. Well, it's, it's rightfully so, but uh, but I think the this is like the nuclear arms race back in the 50s and 60s. Uh, it was driven by political will to uh, to be superior on the on the weapons front. Now we have another arms race called the uh, called the fight against climate change, and uh, and that's politically motivated, and that basically means that the will to to drive through uh, changes uh, over the coming years, not uh, probably accelerate by the uh, by the Russian aggression in Ukraine, which is obviously especially here in Europe has left us in a, in a massive pickle that because we're paying punitively high prices for for all the energy that we consume that the need to uh, for this transition has has even if anything been accelerated by these developments so so five years out we we will uh, we will I think we, well we will see a, a peak in oil demand potentially sooner than expected but but I just saw the BP they came out with their annual review uh, earlier today it's a fantastic uh, uh, publication for for a massive amount of information and just looking at at something like the electricity consumption last year obviously going up and the uh, the part of that going up the most of the, the production of that is coal coming out of out of China so so again uh, it's 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 a long term process but it, but again these oil majors they need to think five to ten years out. And right now, the uh, the crystal ball is just simply so uh, so uh, so blurred, uh, so shady that they can't really they, they don't don't see anything clear right now. Uh, you mentioned that w- unless there was a massive drop in demand, that you didn't see sort of energy prices collapsing. But I think we've seen in the last couple of years that we can't rule anything out. Um, but very unlikely. We the, maybe the big question mark remains about what's going to happen in China because we don't really have a clear picture in terms of demand since they've had this this up and down regarding COVID resurging and they've had various lockdowns in in, in cities across China. Now it looks like it's easing. They've even um, recently uh, shortened the period of quarantine for inbound travelers. But as long as China is focused on a zero COVID policy. And you know you've seen various disruption in Hong Kong and other parts of Asia. Then we may we may there could be a drop off in demand. It's not it's not impossible. I mean, do you rule it out completely that that, that demand could soften considerably? 
Well, demand has uh, has softened, uh, especially in China, in recent months. And uh, and I mean, we can just I mean, I wonder where oil price would be if we hadn't had that softness, and if we hadn't had that one million barrels almost a day coming out of strategic reserves in the U.S. Uh, then prices uh, clearly would have been uh, significantly higher. So, uh, so I think we've seen some softness uh, already. But uh, you mentioned COVID, and uh, right now I'm starting to see colleagues uh, being struck down with the second round or third or fourth round. Uh, again, it's not the it's not serious, but at the same time, it, it does highlight the risk that we we are still we're still not in the clear around the, across the world, even though we've been vaccinated and so on. So, uh, so that potentially could be a, a theme in the autumn. That uh, again temporarily um, could uh, could have a could have a, a soothing impact on on demand but uh, you would almost have to argue that we need that soothing impact on demand because uh, with supply being struggling as it is right now uh, with obviously with Russia Libya Ecuador and uh, and several OPEC plus members uh, struggling to uh, to ramp up production then that really is the the only only way we can we can have a relatively stable price and uh, and we've seen in the past that the, the old saying, the best cure for high price is a high price because high prices drops the kills demand and it incentivizes production. And, and right now, if we only got one part of that equation working, i.e. it kills demand then, uh, without incentivizing production, then, then really we, we need to see uh, the, the demand uh, slow down in order to make sure we have a bit more balanced market and, and, uh, and avoid these, uh, these price spikes, which no one, is, uh, no one likes because it will... It'll prolong the period of high inflation. It'll prolong the the, the economic pain from rising interest rates, and uh, again, from from a top production perspective, uh, it's it's not it's not a long term viable solution having energy prices at these high levels. It's very good in the coffins, in the coffers for now for now, but uh, but it, the long term risk is obviously for for lower revenues from lower prices. What are, you, what are you hearing in terms of the market's attitude to this idea that the G7 could move to cap oil prices? Is that something that market's taking seriously? No, uh, to the straight answer to that. Um, I, I just simply cannot see how it, it, it would work. Um, and I don't think they know why themselves. Uh, it's, it's obviously, if you want to, uh, if the idea is to try to reduce Russia's uh, revenues, then then it's then obviously that could be a route they would they would they could go. But I simply cannot see a, a global open market how you can uh, how you can achieve that without basically everyone agreeing to it. And 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 clearly that's that's not a we have a very divided world right now, um, split into many different camps. And so I don't see this as uh, I see this as as a, as, as something that they would like to do uh, but you can almost sense behind the the scenes that well they don't really know how to effectively to uh, to implement it i mean it's not easy to 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 regulate uh, global energy markets i mean opec look at all the deal making and the discussions and everything they've had to do the opec plus wider alliance so it's interesting that the g7 is even discussing the possibility of them come becoming sort of almost an uber opec you know higher yeah. than everybody else and 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 deciding um you know what where prices sit and actually for years and years and years opec have always said we're not trying to set the price we're trying to maintain stability um, yeah. And 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 where where G seven are concerned, when they're coming in now, they have a very very narrow uh, purpose for what they're trying to do. And and I don't know. It's it, as you said, if the market's not taking it seriously, uh, that gives me a bit of comfort. I have to say because I, I did think about it and think this this sounds implausible. Well, just to add to that, okay. So the one meeting we haven't yet talked about is President Joe Biden heading for Saudi Arabia off of the G seven. What are the expectations from that? 
very low, right. uh, very limited. Um, I think the only thing that that could uh, the, the only thing that for well, the Saudis uh, will will they'll continue to increase steadily as long as they can and as long as they still have a uh, spare capacity left. Because the only the, the last thing you want as an oil producer uh, is is to be left without spare capacity, uh, because then that's that could almost be taken. Uh, Worse by the market than than adding oil because then then suddenly we'd have no no buffer left if there's an if there's another crisis uh, suddenly turning up. So, um, I mean, we have a, we have a few. Uh, uh, they're probably not that low hanging because it require a lot of uh, political uh, camels to be swallowed. But we have low hanging fruits uh, with regards to Iranian production and Venezuelan production. Ven- Iranian most. Uh, uh, most focused on because obviously Venezuela's uh, oil industry has been run down completely, so they need billions of dollars and probably a number of years before they can they can they can get their production uh, back in gear. But uh, Iran is low hanging fruit with regards to sanctions. But uh, but we obviously know know the 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 the, the relationships in within the, within the Middle East and and how difficult potentially that could be to achieve. But uh, maybe uh, maybe a discussion about uh, the wider political uh, situation in, in the Gulf and, and what could what potentially could uh, make the Saudis more uh, more acceptable or make it more acceptable for the Saudis to uh, potentially make a deal with Iran that could uh, increase production. Well, I mean, it, it, we're at kind of inflection point. It's it, And it, it's almost the case of uh, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen really fast or not at all. Um, you know, you mentioned the Saudis and the Iranians. There's been discussions via the intermediary of, of Iraq, um, helping that move along. There's even been um, sort of wider discussions across the region in terms of allies. We have the Negev summit recently um, looking at how to counter Iran. So there's a lot of diplomatic movement. And so sort of Joe Biden's visit kind of comes at a time when um, if a deal can be made, it will probably be made now. Otherwise, we might be sitting around for a long, a long time uh, yeah. to see any momentum again. Yeah, that uh, absolutely. And uh, but but then overall, we, we know that the relationship has uh, not been the best uh, for 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 quite a period of time here, which is which is obviously unhealthy when you uh, when you have the the world's biggest consumer and the world's biggest producer um, in a market which is is as as uh, as volatile as it is right now, so uh, just the fact that they actually meet face to face is always a good thing. Uh, you mentioned you talked about gas supply. I mean, we will come back to Europe a little bit. Um, you, you're saying that something like seventy percent of supplies out of the market now. I saw you tweet that. Is that is that actual picture right now in Europe? Well, it, 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 with regards to Russian flows, it is because uh, we, we are down to uh, we're down around seventy percent compared to where we were there this time last year. So um, the 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 and the Biggest part of that drop just uh, has occurred within the last two, last couple of weeks, and it basically means right now that Germany is almost running dry on gas from Russia, because the Nord Stream uh, pipeline, which is the, uh, the the main artery uh, taking gas into into Europe from 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 Russia, with a, regard well, besides the ones going through Ukraine, but the the main res, uh, the main pipeline into Germany is the Nord Stream, and uh, and that's down sixty percent of the flow, and and the remaining forty percent, quite a lot of that is already earmarked for uh, countries like the Czech Republic and so on. So so uh, Germany is is is, is feeling the uh, feeling extreme heat right now from from that. Electricity prices are. Are hitting uh, hitting record prices. We have a an old uh, respectable company like BASF, BASF, BASF uh, basically struggling with uh, with some of their production because it is very high energy intensive. So um, so um, 
And again, what's up and down in this uh, situation um, from the European perspective? It's geopolitics. Uh, Russia trying to uh, squeeze the Germans for, from the German perspective. It's uh, from the Russians. It's basically Siemens hasn't delivered the uh, spare parts for a pumping section that they require in order to uh, to uh, to do maintenance. So uh, I don't know what's up and down in this story, but uh, but but if we uh, but if we continue this uh, this kind of rate. Uh, then we will struggle to uh, to get our, our storage levels in Europe back up to around the 80 uh, percent that we that has been targeted, and uh, with LNG be increasingly becoming the uh, becoming an important source of, of supply, uh, we have to remember when it comes to that we are in a global com competitive situation with uh, Asia uh, equally also uh, showing strong demand, especially if uh, when and if uh, China gets out of its uh, lockdown, and you will see demand for that picks up. So. Uh, so um, yeah, it's it's um, it's not looking well in Europe, and we we probably uh, we're caught in the middle of this uh, right now. And 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 the uh, what we will see and what we have seen already is that uh, we're getting to that demand destruction uh, part uh, side right now, where where some industries and some are basically forced to reduce uh, reduce demand because uh, the the input cost is just simply too too high. So. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a tricky situation, one that we can all uh, feel in our pockets. Uh, I'll ask you this last thing, Ole, before we let you go. Uh, given that we're wrapping up the first half of the year, uh, what are your kind of main points that you're looking ahead uh, beyond the summer, even for 2022? Well, we've been talking a lot about energy, which is obviously crucially important to the global engine. But uh, I think from uh, the for for the global stomach, uh, I'm really uh, focusing a lot on the food uh, food side of things, uh, food security. Uh, we have seen a little bit of uh, easing of some of the worries uh, recently. There's been uh, quite a big drop in some like edible oils uh, with, uh, with palm oil coming down. But we really need uh, we need the Ukraine situation to stabilize. We need uh, Ukraine being able to export its excess uh, grains before the new harvest arrives, uh, because that requires space in the silos. And right now, quite a lot of these are, are pretty pretty stuck with the old old production that they need to get get rid of. So, uh, so I sincerely hope that we get a get a, a solution to that, so we we at least can get the food uh, situation a bit more under control that we than we've seen in in, in recent uh, recent months. But uh, but generally, uh, the second half I think will be more of the same in terms of energy. Uh, we I think the recession of the economic slowdown will not be. As strong as uh, will not be strong enough to really have a major dent in, ter in, in terms of global demand. So that basically means we will uh, continue to see tight markets. And on the industrial metal space, um, once we get the uh, once we get China up and running again, I think the market will again uh, just keep uh, switch their focus from uh, demand worries to supply worries. So just like we're seeing in the oil market, we have to remember um, we down thirty percent uh, the industrial metal index uh, since the peak in March. But global inventories monitored by exchanges in London and Shanghai has continued to come down during this period. Part of the, just during this period, we have inventories now of the four major industrial metals at the lowest I've, I've probably have ever seen. Um, obviously, that's not the whole picture, but it just tells you that this lower prices due to lower demand should translate into higher inventories, and we haven't seen that. So, uh, so I, I see uh, I see industrial metals also having a, a recovery here into into the second half. Ole Hansen from Saxo Bank, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for today. Kelsey Warner, thank you so much. Thank you. And all that remains to thank our production team and you all for being with us. Join us again next time.